I am Joe Poznanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. Wow, you're welcome. And you went reverse because you I didn't did. go. By I, the, I got tired go of the. the uh, I got tired of conforming to society's norms, <laughs> and I went. The, I went back to the way I used to do it. And I appreciate you doing that. I, you do not need to listen to, to anybody else. You do not need. I don't care what these people say. You do what you want to do. <laughs> Well, Mike, we say this every week. We say it every week that this is going to be a historic uh, podcast, and and they they usually are for for various negative reasons. But can you believe how historic this podcast is going to be? Uh, Arguably the most historic, right? I would say. I would say I don't even think there's an argument. Uh, No offense to to previous podcasts or any anybody we've had, but uh, we have Nick Offerman with us on the podcast today. Right, Nick, you're there. You really here? Thank you for having me, Joe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's really here. He's really here, and he he totally fulfilled the song uh, requirement that you uh, failed on. Frankly, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Oh, you mean? Oh, he well, said he it the right way. Said, yes, I'm sorry. He, yeah, he did the full correct way. Yes, that's right. Nick, incredible, incredible to have you here, and incredible to have you here because. I, I can't even believe this. I mean, this is this is so. I was thinking about this this morning, and it's so stunning to me. Nick Offerman, uh, we we all know all the other things, but but the the big thing about about Nick is Nick is a Cubs fan, and I would I would make an argument that right now, even more than like the moments after them winning the World Series or them first getting good or Theo Epstein getting hired or anything else. I would say right now is sort of the heyday of Chicago Cubs baseball in this way. The Cubs have won the last, uh, they've, they've, they've uh, reached the championship uh, game, championship series, NLCS, each of the last three years. They've won a World Series. And now, kind of out of nowhere, in the middle of a what has not been necessarily a year that anybody has like, gone crazy about them, they have the best record in the National League. It's it's. It's like the world is upside down. The Cubs are not just good. They're they're just clearly the best team in the National League. They're just clearly the best organization. They're the best team. They're the best. What a great time to be a Cubs fan. I, I have uh, very few complaints. You know, they, <laughs> they uh, continue to lead the entire league while playing really scrappy, inconsistent baseball. Um, <laughs> I mean, which is fun because it keeps that old Cubs fandom alive. Like, lest we forget, we we could break your heart uh, for another 108 (laughs) years. So enjoy this while it lasts. I think that's such a big part of it, really. And and I actually wonder about this with you, Mike, because you because this is this is directly to you. So the first whatever number of years, 35 years of your life, 30 years, 25, whatever it is, the, the Red Sox were one thing. And they were they were, were going to break your heart uh, in the worst possible way. I mean, in the Cubs fans, for the first 30 years, it was mostly we're just going to be terrible. But then every now and again, we're going to break your heart also in a terrible, horrible way. But the Red Sox, pretty much that's what you expected, right? You expected to have your heart broken every year. 
And then over the last 15 years, they've been the best team and they've won the most World Series. They've been the best team. And now they're absurdly good. So have you do you do you ever lose like that that feeling of like, oh, they're going to break my heart? The Cubs never let you lose that feeling. But but do the Red Sox, I mean, do you ever really feel at this point like, oh, yeah, they're going to eventually they're going to break my heart again? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. And I, I feel like Nick is now and all Cubs fans are now at the sort of cusp of this of this situation where. I mean, all all I ever wanted and all most Red Sox fans ever really wanted was to just be a normal team, right? you know, to, to be a team where sometimes you would have a good season and make the playoffs and uh, and maybe even win the World Series. And sometimes you would be a bad team and you would stink and it would it would be sad. And, uh, and it took a long time to get to that place where you felt like, you know, in the last look at the last since 2004, uh, the Red Sox have won three World Series. They made the playoffs. I don't know how many times, eight times or nine, ten times, something like that. But also they've had like two or three last place finishes in their division. And right. that's fine. It's all fine because they because it doesn't matter anymore. It used to, you know, games against the uh, Blue Jays in early May used to feel like life or death. And now you, they don't. And that's great. And you want to that's what you want. You don't you just want to feel like you're not. Um, dying 162 deaths a year. <laughs> um, but the the interesting thing is, is that that for me at least, and I think this is true for a lot of Red Sox fans, despite the fact that our rational brains tell us that it's like, well, it's one, whatever, a couple of years ago, they finished last. They finished last in the division twice in three years, I think. Um, and then also they, you know, made the playoffs so, many times. They won the World right. Series in 2013. There are 50 games over 500 right now in, in late August. <laughs> I still have an overwhelming sense of dread all the time. Like I just, and, and it's not, and it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, the past success is no prediction of future happiness uh, for sports fans. I think, especially when you're fans of a cursed franchise. And so right now, as I say this, it's August 21st, the Red Sox are 50 games over 500. People are still talking sort of absurdly in my opinion about whether or not they'll break the single season wins mark they won't they were never going to right. their their last they have 19 games against playoff teams and they'll in their last like 38 games or something they're never gonna they were never gonna do that um but they do have a nine game lead in the division over the yankees and uh, and they swept the yankees in four straight less than two weeks ago i still feel like they're not gonna win the division and it's not <laughs> it's not like um i don't think it's absurd i don't think it's an absurd feeling at all i think it's a very real feeling they've lost two in a row now they lost five four to the indians last night uh ian kinsler came up they they were scrapping runs together in the ninth and ian kinsler came up with runners on first and second and uh and had a like, really good at bat and on the eighth pitch cody allen threw him a just a absolute meatball a forcing fastball middle middle and he and he popped up to left field and when that happened when that ball was caught, you know, in a very shallow left field. I was like, well, that's really going to hurt them in their division run. Uh, and, and it's not, and, I, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's not absurd for me to feel that way because even in very recent history, the number of crushing heartbreaks that the team has suffered, including blowing a, whatever it was a, in the, the fried chicken and beer season, right. Uh, right. they blew a, whatever it was, nine game lead in September um, their Yankees have the second best record in the American league and they're right on their heels. The, you know, like it's not crazy for me to think that way. It is crazy for me to care. 
as much as I do, but it's not crazy for me to think that way. So the question I have for Nick after all of this is the, the Cubs have a equally tortured past, but it's not tortured in the same way. It's not a bunch of, I mean, except for the 2003, it's not a bunch of like, they're almost there and then they fail at the last second. They have a couple of those, but mostly it's just, it's just hopeless incompetence and mediocrity over, over decades and decades and decades. And so what's the difference between how I feel and how you feel, given that your, your standard for sadness is more like a whole season of just being in last place <laughs> and never getting anywhere close to anything good. Do you still have that worry long-term or is there like, are there new worries or are all, are all your worries gone and you're just basking in the joy and glow of your team being good now? Well, if I may, uh, I mean, you're, you're right to always, you know, you always hold out the, the simple reality that you've experienced human life. And so with, with the Red Sox, uh, having the season they're having, you still, it's like, it's like winning the lottery or, uh, you know, you are a human being and you know how, how fickle fate can be. So yes, you will buy yourself a, a nice yacht and listen to your favorite rap artists on that yacht. But you somewhere in the back of your mind, you think this, uh, this, this boat could crash. Um, and for my own experience, I, I would compare my, my Cubs fandom perhaps to a life in which, uh, Things are involve some bumbling and mediocrity, but then let's say you get cast on a program like Parks and Recreation, and suddenly you're rewarded incredibly handsomely for simply remaining silent and eating large amounts of meat. <laughs> and you say, well, this is pretty terrific. Uh, I did not think that I would win a trophy for... Uh, for just enjoying bacon, but here we are. <laughs> and I, and I will fully savor that experience with the full knowledge that it can't last forever. It will, it will come to an end. And at some point, uh, Gary Sanchez will start hitting again <laughs> and everything will come to a screeching halt. But see, now, uh, you, see, you're, you're being very, um, very Zen and, 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 and frankly, very rational. And my point is that the, that if you're a fan of a tortured baseball franchise, being Zen and rational is essentially impossible because it's already an irrational thing to be a fan of, of anything. Uh, you know, you start from the place of like, you're a fan of this thing because you happen to have been born in a certain place or because your father or mother or grandmother or aunt or someone was a fan of that thing and you just adopted right. it wholesale or whatever. So it's all, you're starting from a place of irrationality, but then to go, if you follow the team closely, the team's history becomes a part, becomes even more intensely irrational on your part to, to think that like, what happened to the Red Sox in 1978 has any effect on the Red Sox in 2018 it's, it is insane. But then the irrational part of your brain says, oh, no, it's the 40th anniversary of the Bucky Dent year. And here come the Yankees chasing the Red Sox. And that's what happened in 1978 is they were way behind. And then they tied them in the last game of the season. They won three straight in Fenway and look at the schedule. And oh, my God, the last three games of this season are Red Sox Yankee games at Fenway. You have like you can't help it. It's it's the 
the sort of natural human instinct to to like be paranoid and and put puzzles together in your mind that, that sort of takes over and so you're total of course you're right you're absolutely right you, none of this matters and none of it is predictable and none of it can be controlled or anything but i but don't you have a certain sort of like the cubs fan essential cubs fandom that that causes you to just worry at a very deep level that this is all illusory and will all just all disappear well i i think i think what we're getting down to is subjective subjective differences in our our individual personalities uh i i was brought up in this farming family so and uh, in the vicinity you know an hour outside of chicago by a family full of cubs fans so i was born into it and the family is such Farming is also uh, a, a lifestyle that c- could involve a lot of irrational fear. There are many ways to see your yearly income wiped out by the weather or plague or locusts or the the the, the market could could screw you. Um, there's so so many ways you could see your your life washed away, but you just trudge on uh, in in the sort of safe knowledge that your tenacity and ingenuity and loving family will see this through a la little house on the prairie. (laughs) And, uh, and that applies, I think very well to being a Cubs fan. Um, you, you know, you enjoy the frosting when it comes knowing that quite often there will be no cake. Um, That should be the official Cubs motto. That should be like, you know how like the, the Notre Dame football team, had, there's that thing that says play like a champion today and they yeah, all touch yeah. it as they leave the tunnel. The Cubs should, should have in their clubhouse the words, you enjoy the frosting when you can, knowing there will often be no cake. And they should rub it. They should like shine it with their hands as they head out to Wrigley. Just uh, have that tattooed on on Javi Bias's shoulder or something. <laughs> Awesome. Mm. You know, I have to say, I have to say right up front and, and, you know, Nick, it is wonderful to have you on here, but honestly, that was the most meaningful thing that's ever been said on the podcast. Would you, would, Mike, I mean, we're, oh, by, we're really uh, by a factor of like 30. I mean, <laughs> it's, I don't even know what else you would nominate. <laughs> Well, I, I apologize. I'll get, I'll keep, I'll keep it more meaningless. Yeah, please do. Out. Please, you're, you're kind of no offense, but you're making us look bad. You make us look really, really bad. Well, here's, here's, here's the only thing I would say. Here's the only, the only, the only uh, thing I would add to that. Um, there is a dip. There's a huge difference between see the Cubs. The Cubs history, in many ways, for me, is very similar to my uh, history as a Cleveland fan. Um, you were usually bad, but the very rare times that you would get to the top or get close to the top, there was heartbreak waiting for you. But it didn't happen often enough that you felt like, um, oh, this is, you know, this is something I need to worry about because you just so rarely got there that once you once you got there. So the, the, the Browns were terrible, terrible, terrible. Then they get to three championship games in 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 six years and and lose all three of them in in horrifying fashion. Cleveland, the 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 Indians are terrible for years and years and they get to the World Series and lose in horrifying fashion. But but it's mostly the terrible. It's mostly the terrible. And I think because of that, I don't I don't think that the worry 
is 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 there in the same way that I think it is for Red Sox fans. And and the way I would point it out is think about what it's like to be a Patriots fan. It's you, those irrational fears; they're not there. They're right. just not because there's no history of the team getting close and then and then failing miserably. They were not very good for the first whatever it was thirty years of the of the team, but. Once they got good and once they got Belichick, it's not you're not I'm not saying you have no concerns or worries. Of course you do every Super Bowl, especially playing the Giants, you 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 get all worried up. But it's not like this crazy irrational fear. I mean, the Red Sox seem to be way better than the Yankees, and they have a nine-game lead. So so basically living and dying uh with every single pitch in August. Uh, is I think that's a distinctly Red Sox thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm. Here's what I'm remembering right now, and, and maybe this is the best way to sort of summarize it. And then we should move on because we have a lot to get to. But I think in 2004, I believe in 2004, the Red Sox had a home game against the Marlins, and Carl Pavano was starting for the Marlins, and it was sometime in the middle of the summer, and you know. Um, it was like, uh, you know, it wasn't a super important game except for the fact that at that time, every game was important. And the Red Sox scored, I believe, 14 runs in the first inning. They knocked out two pitchers in the first inning and they scored 14 runs and Johnny Damon went three for three in the first inning. And the last <laughs> out was Johnny Damon's like third hit. I'm doing all this from memory. So I, some of it, I might have the details wrong, but I believe the last out was Johnny Damon got his third hit of the inning and a runner was thrown out at home trying to score. <laughs> and so after one inning, there were two Marlins pitchers taking showers and the Red Sox were up 14 to nothing. And they, Johnny Damon had tied a major league record for hits in an inning. And they had set all sorts of records for, I don't know, runs scored without anybody making an out or whatever. And, uh, and I was watching the game and I was just giddy and so happy. And very quickly, I was like, they're going to lose this game. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. <laughs> They're going to lose because that's the way that you expected things to go is that in the best of times, when you got that delicious cake with that delicious frosting, you assumed that what was coming was, oh, this cake is poison and <laughs> you shouldn't have eaten this cake and you shouldn't have eaten the frosting because even though it tasted delicious, it's poison. And that's just how that's how Red Sox fans saw the world and how we at some level will always see the world is when things are at their very best, like when you're 50 games over 500 in late August, you are waiting. You're just waiting to get punched in the face. And it, and I don't know, it's possible that like another 25 years of just well-run <laughs> franchises and success and a couple more world series championships and just making the playoffs seven out of 10 years and all that stuff. It's possible that that would cure that. And it's possible that I, I'm, it's likely, I would say that my son will grow up never right. having what I have, never having that sickness or that sadness that I have because he was born in 2008 when the he was born in a moment the Red Sox were reigning world champions and since then they've also won again and they've been good <laughs> most of the time he's been alive and I believe that he will not grow up thinking that there is poison in the cake um, and that's great but I don't think, I, I think when I'm uh, God willing, like 93 years old, listening to Red Sox games <laughs> on my space radio on the moon base that I live on, that I'll still feel like they're going to, that there, something terrible is going to happen. I just don't, I think it's inescapable. Yeah. But you're not going back. You're not going back. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's ingrained in who you are. And I think it is different as a Cubs fan, Nick, right? I mean, it's, it's just different. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you don't have worries or concerns but i would bet you feel better about a three-game lead over the brewers 
than Mike feels about a nine-game lead over the Yankees. Well, I suppose, and maybe, I mean, the, the question I'm wondering about is, is uh, who, who, which of us, which team is more fun to, to be a fan of? Uh, we, we, I feel like the Cubs, um, uh, you know, when, when the season started off and these teams were having these crazy steamrolling beginnings, I said, you know, it's, it's like going into test for a TV pilot. You never want to be in first position <laughs> because some some network executive is going to come in and say, you know, you got these cre- you got these creative hippies that wrote the show, and it, and they're like, we love this we love this guy, Rain Wilson. He's really weird, and the the executive will look at it and say, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, can we look at somebody with some tits, you know, <laughs> and, and just because you're in first position, that makes you a target for some of the powers that be. And in the same way, I feel like I would much rather see the Cubs get into, you know, barely make it, uh, win the division or get into the, the wild card game because it's thrilling. And these scrappy bastards, will come back and surprise you so frequently. And that's just a lot of fun rather than my team is Ivan Drago. And, (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, yes, no, you're totally right. There's, I mean, this is the thing of like the last 20 years of sports has been so crazy because the team with the, the first football team ever to go 18 and zero lost the super bowl and the first basketball team ever to go 73 and nine lost the NBA finals. That's right. And the first baseball team to ever win 116 regular season games lost in the second round of the baseball playoffs. It is a, it is a bad omen to have that, uh, to, to head into the playoffs with any kind of record setting regular season behind you. And that's obviously a crazy fluke, but it's now a crazy fluke that's happened three times, one in each major sport. And so as people began to say after the Red Sox swept the Yankees and then people began to say, Ooh, are they going to break the Mariners record? All I could think was like over my dead body, they'll break that record. (laughs) I want them to just play like five fifty baseball for the rest of the year and, and head into the, like get have a yeah. comfortable lead, but like I want no part of that record. I think that's like it's all it all it will do is raise the level of dread and 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 fear uh, and make me feel like it's now I'm now we're definitely heading for heartbreak. That's <laughs> that's the only <laughs> the only possible outcome of them uh, beating the Mariners' regular season record. I love this that's over my good, good body good thing. narrative. And Mike, you're a master of narrative. Like you. Late August, early September. That's what. That's time for a good stumble. So that, <laughs> that's right. So that the story becomes: Will they bounce back? And then you have the momentum of: Holy cow! Looks like they're going to survive that that face plant from September 9th. That's right. You need the like in the if it were if this were a WWE wrestling match <laughs> from the eighties. It's where Hulk Hogan. You need Hulk Hogan to start like looking like he's he's defeated so that he can then hear the roar of the crowd and like come back to his feet and roar back and defeat uh randy macho man savage (laughs) whoever whoever he's fighting you have to have that low point two-thirds of the way or three-quarters of the way through the season in order to then because you don't want to have that low point in october that's what you're saying which i i think you're totally right no, that's right. All right, we 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 better move because we are we are uh, behind. We we need to do a Yankee minute because we need to do it. But I think 
uh, this time what we're going to do is we're going to do a Yankee Minute is literally going to be one minute long. Um, so I'm going to start the the uh, clock uh, right now. Yankee Minute. We have one minute. Nick, we're going to let you take the lead. Uh, all you have to do is say how much you hate the Yankees. Uh, okay. And and we're we're starting now? Yep. <laughs> I mean... I don't think we could beat that. I don't, I would, do we even need the full minute? No, we're at 30 I think, seconds. I think, we're, I think that was the Yankee 12 seconds. <laughs> 33.14 seconds for our Yankee minute. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, I just want to see Seppenwall's face when that happens. That's all I want. That's oh, all yeah, I want to do. Seppenwall loves you so much, Nick, and, and he's going to be so sad to listen to and this. And I him and uh, as, as I mentioned in our emails, I I am the Joaquin Andahar to his Miguel Andahar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this so much! All right, let us move on to the uh, check in on Scooter Jeanette. Checking in on Scooter Jeanette. As you know, Mike, we this is the deal. Scooter Jeanette, Cincinnati Reds. We are looking to see if he can pull off the legendary 15, 25, 35, 45 season. Right. Which is 15 double plays, Mm -hmm. 25 homers, 35 doubles, Uh 45 walks. Yeah, the famous, uh, it's sort of a, a classic benchmark of in baseball history. It's sort of like an unofficial. This is what a great year is for it's a It's almost like a cliche. It's almost yeah. like a cliche with scouts in there. Like, you know, this guy could be a 15, 25, 35, 45 kind of player. Right That's here. right. And that, there'll also be like, sometimes there'll be a debate going on and they'll say, you know, player X, I don't know. Do we, is that really the guy we want? And someone will go, you know, three years ago, he scootered. <laughs> and people will go, no way. And it's like, yeah, no, look it up. You, no one remembers this, but he scootered in, uh, in 1971. <laughs> And then, and then it's like, wow, that I, I underestimated the quality of this player. That's right. That's right. Because there have been, you know, sometimes guys will like, they'll go 15, 24, 35, 45, and they'll, they, they, they realize they'll never have another chance. Right. Yeah. Or they'll go, or they'll go like 16, 27, <laughs> 14, oh, yeah. 50 yeah, like, or whatever. Like, you know, we're like, close, like three right. out of four or right. whatever. And it's right. like, yeah, sorry. That's not, uh, that's not, you didn't scooter. No. <laughs> You you near you uh you near scootered. That's right. <laughs> you, 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 did, you did a half scooter or a semi scooter. <laughs> so the question is, will scooter do it? Scooter is okay on the fifteen. He's looking pretty good. He's got eleven double plays. Okay. Uh, the twenty five. He's looking pretty good because he's got eighteen home runs. I mean, seven for the rest of the year. That's going to be you know. That's uh, not going to be easy. That's not going to be easy. He's, he's He's fallen off considerably yeah. in, all, in a, many of these categories, and we only have thirty-five games left. That's so you're true. talking about you're talking about a home run every five games for Scooter Jeanette, which I <laughs> I feel like that he I feel like he's gonna. He, he I think he's gonna end up with like twenty-two. He could, hit, he could hit four in one of those games. He, so needs, he needs a classic trademark Scooter Jeanette four homer game <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to really push him over the top. 
Uh, I'll tell you what I'm worried about. He's got 26 doubles. I'm not sure. He's got to get nine more to get to the to get to scooter level. And yeah. uh, that's gonna be tough. And I'm, I'll tell you what else I'm a little worried about. Uh, he's got 33 walks. That is that is not a lock. He does Oof. not a lock on 45 walks either. Now, we I understand that some of our li- listeners have written <laughs> to you and have calculated who had the most scooters in history and and who, uh, right? There's some, we have some, do you have some is, stats for us that you can lay out? Because I don't know any of this. We do. We do. I, I I don't have all of the numbers in front of me, but I do know that the uh, the leading scooter, uh, active scooter, uh, is uh, is of course Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols sure. is at I think six or so, and I believe that the all time uh, scooter. This will not surprise anybody. Babe Ruth. That's the sure. all time all time oh, yeah. scooter. Um, yeah. Jim Rice had a couple of scooters, but but surprisingly, not as many scooters as you would think. Really? Yeah, because you would think Jim Rice, you know, would certainly have the fifteen uh, down every year. Easy. But, but uh, for for you know, and part of it is he just he didn't. You, you, he, it seems like he hit more doubles than he did. He only uh, reached a scooter double level twice in his career, in 79, <laughs> 79 and 86. And in, in 86, he did not uh, – he didn't uh, have the home runs. He only hit 20 home runs that year. Wow. So in 79 is his only scooter, which is – I mean, uh, it's – frankly, it's crazy that – it's not called a Pujols or an Albert because <laughs> no, no, it, he's it, it, it's 15 crazy. <laughs> double plays, 25 homers, 35 doubles and 45 walks. I mean, that's like Pujols does that in, in April. Yeah. That's <laughs> eventually the double plays now. Yeah. But you know, what's amazing is the one year that Jim Rice, cause I think Jim Rice was the guy we had in mind uh, for this, for this, uh, for the scooter. I mean, scooter is obviously was number one, but the year, the only year that Jim Rice scootered, uh, the closest uh, problem was double plays. He only had 16 double plays that year. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's just crazy. Crazy. I mean, in, in like in a, in like a very boring discussion, that might be the most boring fact, <laughs> you know, like this whole thing is incredibly boring, but that, that specifically is maybe the most boring part of I it. I think it is the most boring part. And by the way, I, I don't, I don't, I think uh, speaking, if I want to take this to a whole other level of boring, uh, Babe Ruth, it's an unofficial scooter because they did not count double plays. That's right. I knew that. Yes. That's yeah. a double play is a fairly recent by baseball terms in baseball uh, ways, fairly recent stat, right? That's right. Like that's right. They, so, they just considered it like a normal baseball play. They didn't specifically keep track of double plays for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I have the Babe Ruth uh, fact wrong. It's the Babe Ruth did not ever officially scooter and uh, we'll, we'll just have to uh, dive deep into the research. The next time we want to have a conversation, this boring. So um, let's move on. So scooter Jeanette, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on him. Nick, you're going to keep an eye on, on Scooter Jeanette uh, with us? I am, absolutely. I, I'm I'm gobsmacked by this subject matter. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, a sports movie time. Sports movie time. Here comes a can of worms. Oh, it's gonna, <laughs> it is a can of worms. It is absolutely... We are talking, this week's uh, is built around Field of Dreams. There are many, many things we could, in fact, we might even bring Field of Dreams back before the end of this podcast season, uh, because there are many different things you can you can discuss. But th- there's the one thing that's really, uh, really gotten us and bothered us for, for a long time. And so here is the question. 
Burt Lancaster plays the character Moonlight Graham in Field of Dreams. Uh, Moonlight Graham famously only played, uh, he only got to the major leagues in one game and he, and, and that was it for him. Uh, and through a wild series of, uh, weird effects, Kevin Costner ends up, uh, going to find him in the past and, uh, and, and asks him what, what his dream is. He said, I never got to bat in the major leagues. I'd have liked to have that chance just once to stare down a big league pitcher. To stare him down, and just as he goes into his wind-up, wake. Make him think you know something he doesn't. That's what I wish for. Chance to squint at a sky so blue that it hurts your eyes just to look at it. To feel the tingle in your arm as you connect with the ball. To run the bases, stretch a double into a triple, and flop face first into third. Wrap your arms around the bag. That's my wish, Reconcilla. As he leaves, Ray Kinsella runs into a kid who's just like kind of hitchhiking on the side of the road. That turns out to be the young Burt Lancaster, takes him to the game. He goes and gets to play in the ghost game on the field of dreams against all of these all-time great major leaguers. He gets his at bat and he hits a sacrifice fly in his <laughs> one at bat. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you think about it, is kind of the essence of what we talked about on the last podcast, which is taking the most dramatic moment in a movie and making it as boring as possible. So yep. having yep. him at a sack fly. So the question is, did uh, Moonlight Graham get his wish? Did he actually get his wish because he got the one at bat before he went back and became a doctor because he had to save Kevin Costner's daughter. But if you talk about Field of Dreams, it really sounds stupid, by the way. The more you talk about it, <laughs> the dumber it I sounds. I like that part of, part of your explanation of just setting it up was he got to play in the ghost game and <laughs> just, like, just very casually like that. And then he goes and plays in the ghost game. <laughs> So we start with you, Nick. Well, yeah, Burt Lancaster is is ignobly uh, transformed into Frank Whaley Jr. I mean, <laughs> loses about seven inches of height. I mean, it's really crazy how that happens. Yeah. So we start with you, Nick, and then and then Mike, you weigh in. Did Moonlight Graham slash Burt Lancaster get his wish? Okay, I'm I'm going to try to nutshell this as as best I can. <laughs> Um, I've got, I've got a little bit of, I've got some things to get off my chest. Um, <laughs> I was very excited to be made to watch a film, uh, for one simple podcast question. And immediately I texted Mike and said, this movie is bananas. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I, I made a quick list of just absolutely ridiculous things about this film. <laughs> First, first of all, Kevin Costner is ostensibly an Iowa farmer. He wears no belt. That's, that's, <laughs> there, there are so many glaring uh, reality and continuity issues here. Uh, the, the first time he hears the voice, he's out wandering in a shoulder-high cornfield in the middle of the field uh, with, a, with a shovel. Just wandering through the field with a shovel, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> then he goes to the seed store where he asks some of the older farmers if they have heard voices in the in the cornfield. They look at him like he's crazy, and he just buys one bag of corn seed in, at harvest time. 
I'll let you do the math on that. Then, <laughs> then Shoeless Joe shows up out on the ball field, and Kevin Costner runs out. Fortunately, several, I mean, a, a dozen at least baseball bats and a huge bag of baseballs are sitting out by the unprotected backstop so that if it were to be a dewy evening, let alone, God forbid, it rained, all of the equipment would be ruined. <laughs> Shoeless Joe asks him to pitch to him. He's got he, he, he's got enough bats and balls to field two college teams. Yet he takes the mound with no mitt. <laughs> really with no mitt. Like you you built a whole you put in life in your cornfield and you have no mitt. A farmer would never wear pleat front khakis. The, the height of his work shoes is ridiculous. The blue pattern J Crew button down again could not be more cute. Costner, uh, Amy Madigan, the always wonderful Amy Madigan, uh, is clearly from New Jersey uh, in this movie. <laughs> There are two scenes where he's driving a VW bus to go pick up James Earl Jones and then go to Minnesota. And, and obviously the bus is being towed by a picture car. And Kevin Costner is literally leaning on the steering wheel with his forearms, just reclining as though he's in a massage chair at the airport. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and And finally... The, the whole plot is, is predicated on the fact that this crazy farmer had this vision, plowed under a bunch of his corn to build a baseball field in his cornfield. And everybody says, you're crazy. You're hearing voices. What's the matter with you? You're, you're plowing under your cash crop. You're going to lose your farm. So I, I based my math on uh, the dimensions of Wrigley Field and <laughs> determined that being generous to the filmmakers – uh, the baseball diamond would encompass two acres. The average size of an Iowa corn farm is 345 acres. <laughs> so it's absolutely ridiculous that it, it would have any impact on his, on his profits to the point where they would lose the farm. Now, Thank you for letting me air those grievances. And I, as I was running through them on the phone with my wife, Megan, last night, she said to me, and I've, I've buried the lead, I apologize. She said, you know, I tested to be the lead in that movie. Whoa. Um, Whoa. But they determined that I was too young. Uh, I was supposed to have gone to college with Kevin Costner. And she said, uh, you better believe that movie would have been a lot better if I had a mouthful of Kevin Costner <laughs> <laughs> and I said, can I quote you on that on a, on a family style podcast? And she said, uh, yeah, yes, you yeah, can. Uh, Megan, Megan typically do, isn't worried about whether you uh, quote her uh, oh. on things like that. Yeah. yeah. Now. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the load I had to get off my chest. And to answer your question, uh, we are told, you know, once the sacrifice fly has been hidden, but has been hit by young Archibald Moonlight Graham, he and Kevin Costner make eye contact and, uh, and young Moonlight smiles in a positive fashion, <laughs> which I said, okay, 
that according to Frank Whaley Jr., that was enough. <laughs> so that's your official stance? That's my stance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, first of all, excellent list of grievances. Oh, my God. Let's start Could there. Could not be better. Could um, not be better. It's been a long, there, there's a long and proud history of making fun of Field of Dreams for its for its m- sort of uh, maudlin uh, <laughs> spiritualism and its sort of like frou-frou uh, association of poetry and baseball and stuff. But I've never heard just a, a very uh, straightforward, logical takedown <laughs> from a man familiar with the farming industry. And it never occurred to me, frankly, that... That they a two acre baseball field and a three hundred acre farm wouldn't really eat that much into a man's <laughs> farm profits, but that I mean you're talking about half of a percent or something yeah. theoretically, right? <laughs> now the only thing I'll say in the movie's defense, and I don't want to come to the movie's defense, although I do love it, is he that he also clearly needed to put some money into the field, sure, right? Sure. It, so he could have the the problem could have been more in the like borrowing against the farm in order to install those self-same lights and buy that self-same backstop and uh, uh, those self-same balls and bats and stuff. Theoretically, that could have been, that could be part of the issue is the, it's not just the loss of, of incoming revenue. It's the outlay of expenditure to maintain the field. Potentially. They kind of run through that, though, don't they? They don't really spend a lot of time talking about how the heck he got those lights and no. all of that sort of thing. They, no, they just, there's they no just... indication how one guy built a baseball stadium by himself. Hey, in... Guys, it doesn't matter. It's a tone poem. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a narrative. Um, so anyway, I, I, that was excellent. Good, uh, good work. That was far more interesting. In fact, than, um, than musing about whether or not Moonlight Graham is happy. I will say this from a narrative standpoint, from the standpoint of a, of a, a, a writer, I would, I've always enjoyed the fact that they didn't do the exact thing that he right. said he wanted to do. I think it's a good choice. Yeah. I think that like the the practical reality of uh, uh, of seeing him actually like stretch a double into a triple, even for Field of Dreams, even by Field of Dreams standards, I think people would have been like, oh, come on. Oh, come like, on, yeah. Give me a break. That's ridiculous. That's too on the nose. It's too poetic. It's too obvious. And I think that weirdly, a sacrifice fly is exactly the thing that you that he should have gotten, which is he put the, he had he was down 0-2 very quickly. He puts the ball into play. He helps his team. When he comes back to the dugout, he gets a high five from his teammates because it's like that was a good baseball play. You you put your bat on the ball, you got it to the outfield, you got it deep enough for the guy to score. Good job. I think from 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 a baseball standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, it's absolutely it was absolutely perfect. It was the right move to not have him get what exactly what he wanted and the thing that they chose for him to get was the right thing. However, I've always thought like, oh, that it kind of sucks for him. Yeah. Because <laughs> because he never reached base. Like part of part of his fantasy and part of what he imagined was running the bases. That's right. And he never and and I I don't I don't even know that I would do it differently, but uh, if I were writing the movie, but I think that w- is he entirely sated 
is his thirst kind of completely quenched? I don't think so. I think his thirst isn't completely quenched unless he's standing on first base or second base and has a kind of a, a moment where he gets to lead and like maybe try to steal. Like he gets to do all of the things that a hitter gets to do if a hitter is uh, has like a little cup of coffee in the majors. So I I, I feel like in in the in this in the spiritual sense in the narrative sense, yes congratulations he had his moment and he's happy and he becomes Burt Lancaster and by the way I've always loved that his amazing like thank goodness a a real medical doctor was there to slap a little girl on the back and make her like do a thing it's not like he correctly diagnosed her with dengue fever and treated her before she could uh, could expire he was like oh she's choking and he whacks her on the back and she choked she he coughs up the hot dog. Great, great job, Doc. Yeah. Look, we, we really needed a, a medical <laughs> professional for that. But I, I do think that he. I don't think that you could say he is one hundred percent satisfied with his uh, with his baseball experience. I just I can't I can't imagine that you would be completely satisfied unless you would have the feeling, the sensation of having a uh, get to of standing of getting a hit getting a, a uh, reaching base safely via hit and then running the bases uh that would uh, that would complete his experience and he didn't get that okay but here's my beef here's my beef okay all of the things you're saying is are right uh on on from a narrative standpoint from a it would have been ridiculous to watch him do the the, the thing that he said he was going to do whatever here's my beef though so he 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 saves the girl and goes off into the cornfield feeling like, hey, I got my at bat. I got my chance, right? And he goes to the great scorer in 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 the cornfield and basically thanks him and says, This is great. I I thank you so much. I I got I got what I always wanted. I got my at bat. And the great scorer looks in the scorebook and goes, No, you didn't. You didn't get an at bat at all. You got a sacrifice fly. This and it's, it's no at bat. It's zero. You literally are still zero for zero. You have never been at bat in the in in the major leagues. Yeah. <laughs> you have never had an at bat in the major leagues. And I think that's that's my beef. It could have been a single. It still would have been just as good if it was a single. It probably would have taken more time in the movie. But if it, it, like it, it didn't even have to be a great single. It could have been like a blooper over the second baseman's head. He just made contact. Whatever. But he could have had that moment. I look. I, I agree with you absolutely. And the, but I would argue that you guys are looking at it from the point of view uh, necessarily of baseball fans. And I think that that it is actually kind of poetic that the sacrifice fly is the baseball hit of Archibald Graham's life, that he is a human sacrifice fly. Oh, I like this. And, and that the message in, contained in his story is sometimes you, your dreams, sometimes you just, you don't get a triple, you get a sacrifice fly, but you save a bunch of people's lives and are beloved of your town, and that's okay too. Um, but what... One thing that I left out that is perhaps the greatest crime in this movie, and I texted this to Mike, uh, there's a continuous scene where Kevin Costner first first meets Burt Lancaster on the sidewalk, and then they go inside his doctor's office to talk. The They must have shot them on, on different days. The outside scene, Burt Lancaster has an incredibly bad, thin, fake mustache. 
<laughs> and then ostensibly minutes later in his doctor's office, he has a thick, rich, full mustache. <laughs> that that just will not stand in my house. Uh, Nick Nick took photos, took screenshots of the two mustaches, and I have to say, it's egregious. It's wow. the the, uh, the outside scene. There's probably a good three quarters of an inch under his nose that is clean of uh of hair and then inside the uh the doctor's office it the hair goes all the way up to just right underneath the nostrils and i've never noticed it before i think it took a it took essentially a mustache professional to really to really notice the uh how egregious it is but it is it is truly egregious there's also like the the inside one he has a sort of clean horizontal cut of the bottom of the mustache that goes right across his upper lip and in the in the one outside it has a sort of it has a sort of like um it has fangs at each end that kind of dip down a little bit i mean it really is it's two just wildly different mustaches (laughs) it's like they it's like just two it might as well be two different actors Um, I have never noticed that. You guys, that said, uh, two two final points on the film. One is immediately when we meet Karen, the Kinsella's daughter, I immediately said, oh, my God, it is the incredibly charismatic face of the great actress Gabby Hoffman from Transparent and other great films. Uh, I totally never would have known that was her uh, because I, I... was also her age, uh, but I, she was fantastic in the film. She was yeah. really good at, at choking and also talking. <laughs> um, now, and, and I, I, I want to end my, my contribution on this note. <laughs> Despite all of, of these uh, complaints, I cried my eyes out three times in the watching. <laughs> yes, yes. And thus therein lies the magic of Field of Dreams, yeah, an absurd, right. <laughs> like ridiculous, faux poetic romp through like a, an imaginary America and with, with absurd language and terrible dialogue and over the top acting performances. And it makes me cry every single time I watch it. <laughs> Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. All right. That's, that's again, a lot of meaning brought to, uh, brought to the podcast with, with that, uh, with that whole thing. So, uh, we have time. Do we have time for our draft? I mean, Nick, can you, can you stay with us? Absolutely. Oh, this is going to be so great. So we are drafting, uh, very simple. We're drafting U.S. states. Actually, we Mike, we couldn't even believe that we haven't done this already. Yeah. Are you sure we haven't done it already? No, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm not we've sure. done cities. We've done cities. But we've never done states, huh? We, I don't believe we've ever done U.S. states before. So we are going to draft uh, U.S. states. That is that is the entirety of the, of the direction. Um, and Nick, as our guest, you get the first pick. Oh boy, I, I thought I thought I might get the first pick, and that's tough. Uh, there's there's so many great states, um, but I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, with Texas. Okay, as my first pick, and uh, to keep it brief, uh, it's it's a good amount of real estate, so that's a sound <laughs> investment. Um, but really it, it boils down to the city of Austin, 
specifically um, a location called Franklin Barbecue. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Texas is where Franklin Barbecue is, and that is my first choice. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing to make your first choice based on a single restaurant. <laughs> I love that. I love that because, honestly, Texas is a risky choice here. I'm thinking, ooh, Texas. I'm not – not sure I'm going with that number one, but then boy, the Franklin barbecue thing just ends all conversation. Really, it's it's a good choice. There's there's a lot of good parts of Texas. There's a lot of garbage oh, yeah. parts of Texas, but there's a lot of good parts of Texas. Austin is lovely. Fredericksburg, the the hill country out there to the west, is gorgeous. There's some good. There's some real good, uh, uh, beautiful vistas. There's a uh, San Antonio has its charms. Oh, I'd say. I mean, you're right. Mostly, it's like you're getting a. You're getting a lot of bang for the buck. It's a, it's, it's enormous. It's endlessly huge. And granted, large parts of it are just desert that's un, essentially uninhabitable. But uh, it makes sense. It makes a certain amount of sense. It's a solid. It's like a, you know what you just did. You drafted like a really solid offensive lineman. Yes. Thank you. It's just like it's, it's not the yeah. most exciting, flashy <laughs> pick, but it's like a, it's gonna keep your team. Twelve years. He'll play. He'll play. He'll play tackle for like eight years, then move to guard for another yeah. five. Yeah. You just yeah. drafted Logan Mankins. It's a great choice. <laughs> you'll, you'll, yeah, I, I intend to develop a team that is will have to run the ball on every play. <laughs> Yeah, that's smart. Uh, who's two second, Joe? You, you or have, me? You have the second pick. All right. I, I, it's shocking, frankly, that I'm going to do this, but I'm going with California. Yeah. Um, California uh, is a state that I had didn't care for that much before I moved here, and I have to say that over the last 15 years, I've really come to love it. I, I don't love the exact city that I live in as much as some other parts of California because I like weather. And this city is the Truman Show, um, but I but th this state is is amazing. It has every single thing a state can have. It has large, vibrant, multicultural cities that that pulse with excitement and and team with humanity. It has enormous mountains. It has deserts. It has the ocean. It has windy, twisty highways that you, that give you beautiful vistas. It has. Uh, giant lakes it has enormous swaths of natural national forests it has giant redwood trees it has 50 different professional sports franchises <laughs> there if if there is a whatever you're looking for in america california has it it's hard to imagine a state that encompasses more different things than california if you just go south to north and you look at uh, uh san diego and then Los Angeles, and then, uh, you know, San Francisco and San Jose and Oakland, and the number of restaurants that are here, the number of different ethnic restaurants that are amazing, the number of Michelin three-star restaurants and terrible fast food restaurants. I mean, there really is like, they, there really is nothing like this state in terms of the breadth of its experience. So to me, it's an easy pick. I'm going California, number one. It's the golden state. Oh, that's right. It is also the Golden State. <laughs> it's the, it is the Golden State. Uh, it's a good pick. I mean, how, how are you going to argue with it? California's a terrific pick. However, my first pick is still on the board, so I get to get my first pick. Uh, and my first pick is New York State. Um, and and th there are a lot of reasons, some of which you've described in California. But I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was in Cooperstown. Uh, for the uh, for the Hall of Fame induction, um, and uh, which was great, 
And uh, in fact, we might, uh, we're, Mike and I, we're still talking about doing a, a podcast from Cooperstown. Uh, they're, they're very eager for us to try to do that. But I was up in Cooperstown and it's just gorgeous up there. It's just beautiful, just lakes and, 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 and beautiful countryside uh, and cute little towns and, and, and awesome, you know, main streets. And it uh, just feels like you're, you know, you, you're really stepping into the past. And this is two hours away from New York City. And, and you know, there it is in a one state. You go across and you go to Buffalo, uh, which is very similar to where I grew up in Cleveland. And you, you have the, the the urban, you know, feel of, of Buffalo. I love that. I love that this state is so many different things. And there are parts of New York that are are, you know, completely you know, places that I wouldn't necessarily love to go. But I mean, there's, there are parts of it that were, where there are a lot of, you know, the Amish is, is, is a big part of, you know, where, where it closes in on Pennsylvania, you've got beautiful Cooperstown, and then you got New York City, which I still think is the, the best city in, in the country. So uh feel pretty good about getting New, New York with the uh, number three pick. Yeah, I mean, these are solid picks, you guys. Uh, it's, I'm realizing <laughs> that this truly is uh, an amazing country. I, New York has everything. I mean, it's uh, it has a preponderance of uh, domestic hardwoods, but we'll talk more about that in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pick number two, Nick. Well, this is this is, God. It's tough, uh, but number two for me, North Carolina. Nice. Uh, it's it's astonishingly gorgeous. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and, uh, very unfamiliar with the East coast. And for some reason, I guess the lore that I received had me picturing the South in quotes as, you know, uh, uh, just a vast array of cotton plantations. And so when I started touring the country, I was just, my breath was taken away by the beauty of the Carolinas and, and Virginia and West Virginia, basically the the entire Southern corridor of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I'm picking North Carolina because uh, it's for, for among the reasons it's, it's the furniture capital of the That's country. Right. Um, yeah. It's where I think the greatest woodworkers in the country still reside. Um, and it's an incredible hotbed of, of traditional music and handcrafting. But that's all beside the point, because in the city of Raleigh is a barbecue restaurant called The Pit. <laughs> uh, and in North Carolina barbecue, they use every part of the pig but the squeal. And if you can find yourself at, at The Pit or uh, another place is called Skyline Inn, you will uh, you will emerge robust and happy. <laughs> I I mean it's it's faultless logic. It is faultless logic, and makes me realize that uh, I might have to move one of my picks up because uh, clearly, if I'm if I'm going to be uh, fighting against uh, this 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 barbecue train that is just rolling over uh, all other teams, uh, I might I might have to move one of my other states up. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pick uh this is hard. Um I'm going to pick Alaska. Um 
it's it's <laughs> kind of an absurd pick. That is early it's, for Alaska. It's, it's not though, and here's why. Uh, it's like half the size of the entire nation. There's nothing there except essentially wildlife and some oil derricks. Um, it is it's a giant unspoiled paradise. Uh, I've never been there, by the way. <laughs> I would like to go, <laughs> but I but um. I think that there's a, that it represents something that is almost gone uh, from the world, really, but certainly from America, which is just it's just wilderness. Like it's uh, such a huge part of this country was just how but that it was wild. And we have one part of it that's still wild and it's Alaska. And I I think that there's something essentially and quintessentially American about Alaska. It's it's not even attached to us. It's floating up there. Uh, northwest of Canada, and it's it has a sort of weird mystical quality because no one lives there. Uh, there there's no reason to go there except to be around nothingness. And there's uh, and I like that. And uh, and like Nick said about Texas, it's a good chunk of real estate. And with the at the speed at which Earth is heating up these days, pretty soon it's going to basically be all beachfront property. <laughs> so, so it'll be, Alaska will be in like 50 years, Alaska will be what um, like Southern California is right now. And Southern California will be uninhabitable and we'll all have to move to Alaska. So I'm going to get it on the ground floor. I like it. Brilliant. Pick. I like it. It's a, it's a great pick. I've been to Alaska uh, and it's, uh, and it was really, really fun, but I, I had one particular moment. We went to, uh, Denali, the state park, Denali, and and I saw what what would unquestionably be for the rest of my life the single most beautiful rainbow I've ever seen. Like it, really, one of those rainbows that where every element it felt like it was solid, and it was like right in front of you. It was so beautiful, and and I just thought because I was there for. I don't know, four or five days in, in Alaska. And I saw a bunch of stuff, but when I was saw that rainbow, I just thought this whole, this whole visit has been like worth it. Just, just, I'll never see any, I'll never forget that rainbow. I'll never see anything like it. How many trips and how many places can you go and visit something where, you know, uh, it will never leave you. It will, will never leave you. So, so I have a very, uh, good feelings about Alaska. It feels like it feels early to me to go for Alaska. It feels like feels like you could have had them later, but uh, but I like the Belichickian now logic of just get the players you want. Don't, That's don't right. Worry, don't worry about the place. You, All right. Well, my second pick. I'm sorry. Well, I, was, I was just going to say you'll be well positioned in the uh, the inevitable impending uh, fresh water wars that will <laughs> that will That's be right. taking over. And and in addition. You'll be well positioned to create your own major league baseball team when the population uh, moves to Alaska. I oh, like that's that. True, that's very good. That's actually very good. All right. Uh, so my second pick, because because it's clear that that uh, where where the trends are going, I'm going to move Missouri up to my uh, second pick. You it was not necessarily. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm moving Missouri up to my second pick entirely to get uh, Arthur Bryant's and uh, and oh. Kansas City barbecue and and I'm I mean I of course lived in Kansas City for many years love it love Missouri amazing you have Kansas City and St Louis on on both ends and then all sorts of stuff in the middle uh, it's a it's a it's a cool state in many many different ways but 
I'm really doing it for the barbecue. I have to have the Kansas City barbecue. I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> this is your podcast. You're amazing at this. I can't believe how many. That's like four out of the first six picks have been based on barbecue restaurants. Oh, and that's not. And you, you didn't even mention St. Louis. Oh yeah, that's. Oh, it's good. All right, Nick, you're up. <laughs> well, I got I got to get back up on my rug because it's been pulled out from under me. <laughs> oh God! All right, all right, all right. Um, uh, Joe's Barbecue in Kansas City started in a gas station, and it is now Oklahoma Joe's. Oh, I, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what the. Uh, the the state of Pennsylvania oh, it's good. boasts the the finest array, both in uh, diversity of species and sheer quantity of deciduous cabinet woods. Um, talking about <laughs> cherry, maple, walnut, and uh, a, a myriad of oak species. Um, it's it's just an absolutely gorgeous state, uh, boasting uh, an incredible spectrum from the most backwards small town uh, rural sensibility, uh, a large Amish population, all the way uh, through to the to the incredible urban centers. I'm sorry, I'm reeling here a little bit. I'm a little unsteady <laughs> on my feet. You got your Cleveland. Um, and, no, you don't have Cleveland. Sorry. You have Pittsburgh and you have Philadelphia is what you have. And uh, I, every time I drive through Pennsylvania, it's, it's like the most beautiful parts of Illinois in my home state. Uh, you take the nicest river valley from western Illinois and all of Pennsylvania looks like that to me. Um they also make a fine, uh, a fine uh, cheese steak sandwich. So that's, <laughs> that's my third pick. You you really you didn't recover from the loss of Missouri, I, did you? I didn't want to go cheese steak. <laughs> you wanted to go more barbecue. Yeah. You wanted your third your third in a row based on barbecue. God damn it! Poznanski got my number. <laughs> <laughs> um all right well i've got um i've got a state that has everything california and a state that has nothing alaska <laughs> uh so now I, i'm gonna i'm pretty covered i just need some um i need one more kind of natural beauty state and then i i have a couple other ideas for just vacation varies for vacation homes sure so i'm gonna say that with my third pick i'm gonna choose um, I'm going to choose Michigan. Now, Michigan isn't either of those things. No. Uh, it is. It is the state where I was born. Uh, it has a. It's right in the middle of the country in a way that is very appealing to me. It has cold weather, which is also appealing to me. It has Ann Arbor, which is one of the greatest college towns in the world. Yeah. Um, and 
that's about all it has. And it has a bunch of lakes and that's, that's about it. <laughs> but the lakes are very beautiful. It's, and I would take Illinois, except I'm, I'm going to let Nick have Illinois if he wants it. Cause that's where he's from. And I also have no special affinity for Illinois other than I love Chicago. Right. Um, and Michigan, Michigan has nothing really to offer me except that I have a loyalty to it because I was born there. The lakefront is beautiful. It has a, it has a decent amount of, of wilderness in it, and it has my favorite college town. So uh, at this point, I feel, like, um, I feel like that's enough. I'm going Michigan number three. Michigan's a great pick. You, you know, uh, with the Upper Peninsula that, that has, doesn't have a lot of headlines, you're sort of getting uh, another Alaska it's it's a yeah. unsung, vast, gorgeous area full of resources. Yes, and you're get you're actually getting a decent amount of land that's actually north of a many Canadian cities. That's right. Like it's it's real it's real far up there, and it's very uh, very wildernessy and and uh, and kind of great. So. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, the northern parts of Michigan, I mean, some of those are our vacation areas, especially in the summer. It's just beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. Um, well, now I have to now I have to counter you because I, I already countered Nick with the with the uh, with the barbecue pick. Um, I can't allow as a, an Ohio born and raised person for somebody to take Michigan and me not to immediately counter and take Ohio. Um we don't even, as you know, in Ohio, you're not even allowed to refer to Michigan by state. You have to just call it that state up north. Yep. Um, Ohio is great. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I, I was born in Cleveland. Cleveland is is awesome uh, in so many ways. You got Cleveland and Cincinnati. I lived in Cincinnati. It's awesome. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of the Cincinnati chili. In addition, to everything else about Cincinnati. Uh, I am a uh, I'm a fan of the fact that that Ohio has a rock song. Uh, Hang on Sloopy is the official song of Ohio. So I like that. Um, but here was my favorite Ohio fact that I found is that Ohio is the only state in the country that has an actual state meal, officially endorsed state meal. And the officially endorsed Ohio state meal is chicken fried steak, barbecued pork, fried okra, squash, cornbread, grits, corn, sausage with biscuits and gravy, black-eyed peas, strawberries, and pecan pie. Oh, so, my God. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anything else needs to be said about Ohio. I am now laying down on the floor and <laughs> admitting defeat. I've been defeated. I have lost this trap. Are you kidding me? I, I have to get off the phone and get to Ohio and get that meal. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, all right, pick number four, Nick. All right, pick number four. Um, you know, it's tough. I uh, Illinois is certainly pulling on my heart. I'm gonna okay. I, Kentucky blows my mind. Wisconsin and Minnesota are, could easily fill out my offensive line, but. <laughs> But Illinois has my heart. Illinois is the home of Chicago. It's the home of my family, a a 36-member platoon that I'll put up against any bloodline in the contiguous United States and the the Pacific Islanders. Uh, I love every bit of, of 
the corn fields and soybean fields, the the monocultures that are uh, our corporate farming uh, industries have destroyed most of Illinois with. I'm crazy about it uh, because it, that's how they make Twinkies. Um, <laughs> it's it's actually you know there is a lot of uh, a lot of agriculture in Illinois, but there's a lot of great beauty as well. And and that is uh, that is where I'm from. So I'm taking Illinois. It made me the land of Lincoln. Yeah, I mean, you're also getting Chicago, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's in addition to all of that stuff that's personal about it. You're yeah. also getting one of the great cities of the world. Yeah, and yes. I, if it's a it's really a steal in, in the fourth pick. I if I had any affinity for the state other than liking Chicago, I think I would have chosen it. But uh, but you're getting with your fourth pick in the draft. You're getting you get you're getting one of the That's one of the three thing. best cities in America and and a, and a, probably a top twenty five city in the world, it's, right? Yeah, so. it's, it's been said that Chicago is the Paris of America. Uh, by me just now, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with my fourth pick, I, I I'm going to choose a, a. Eventually, I'm going to choose a state in New England where I'm from, but I don't think either of you is going to choose them, any of them. So uh, I think I got to go Hawaii. Yeah, oh, that's a good I mean, one. I yeah, mean, that's a good one. It's the it's the most beautiful place in America for my money. It has it's insane. It's a crazy archipelago that should not exist it's just volcanic rock that comes out of the ground and has so such magical properties to it uh, the the number one thing in hawaii's favor to me is we we've been taking our we've been there i don't know half a dozen times and when our when we go there with our kids that our kids are immediately so happy when they get out of the plane in hawaii and they're they they just there's something about it that's like almost magically calming and soothing and the air is the breeze is cool and uh and yet still warm somehow and the water is warm and refreshing and the it's just the there's something so peaceful and calm about it and you feel like you are a billion miles away from everything in the world that is stressful and uh if i'm going to have california uh, I need a place to go on vacation, and that place is Hawaii. <laughs> you you will not be surprised to know that Hawaii has pretty much by far the highest life expectancy in in the United States. Oh, that, of course it does. It, I mean, you, when you're does. there, first of all, you're so calm. There's no there's it is impossible to be stressed out in Hawaii. And also everything you eat tastes so fresh. The fish is so fresh and the fruit, like you eat like mango and guava (laughs) and it just feels like, it feels like how humans are supposed to eat. Basically it's just fresh food. That's right from right near where you're standing. Uh, Yeah. Of course it does. Hawaii has amazing barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) It it does. And and you have uh, possibly the best Brady Bunch episode to boot. Oh yeah! Oh definitely. That possibly. Is a great pick. Oh yeah! That's definitely. <laughs> definitely. Just the spider scene alone is 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 television at its height. Uh, All right, Joe, you're up. <laughs> my pick. All right, you were wrong. I am going New England with my fourth pick. Uh, I am going to take Massachusetts. Oh, uh, for the love pick. of God. I, I, one, I love taking Boston away from you. I love that. 
But actually, there are three things that I found uh, about Massachusetts as I did my extensive research on on this this process. One is not surprising. Uh, we know basketball and volleyball both invented in Massachusetts, so there's a, a fun little bit. Two that they once had a court case in Massachusetts uh, where the verdict was, the absolutely correct verdict was that burritos are not officially sandwiches. So I think that's really good. And and I'm not sure other states would have would have come through on that very important legal, uh, legal ramifications behind that. And then the third thing is uh, all states, and I wouldn't say all states, about more than half of the states have an official state cookie um, but only Massachusetts, the official state cookie is the chocolate chip cookie, which is the only cookie uh, in my mind. So those three reasons, plus Boston and Fenway, uh, gets Massachusetts to make my fourth pick. I mean, it doesn't it? Don't you feel a little bad about yourself for what you just did? No, to me, not not even a little bit. A not little even, bit. You don't slight. feel a little bit bad. No, no, not at all. Not at all. You can. You're, you're a sociopath. Uh. <laughs> You took Missouri away from Nick and you took Boston away from me. You're a sociopath. I'm sorry. You can't just wait until the fourth pick just to go ahead and take it, just assuming everybody's just going to back away. That's that's a golden player right there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you did you did take Hawaii over your beloved Massachusetts. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not I'm not disagreeing at, at Joe's sociopathy, but it is called oh, no. it is called the Pazcast. <laughs> and uh, and in his defense, that burrito thing is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final pick, Nick. Oh, final pick. Oh, God. This has been so much more dramatic than I thought it would be. Uh, uh, there, well, this is tough. I'm, I'm also going to go New England. Um, and it's a tough pick because Vermont, to me, is possibly the most beautiful state it's so charismatic and it's uh you know it ha- it's it's sort of the the libertarian of states um and there, there's a lot to recommend about that but ultimately uh ultimately i'm going to look east to the magnificent expanses of maine with its mm. heartbreaking coastline, its preponderance of lobster, um, and the, the the wooden boat school and wooden boat magazine centered in Brooklyn, Maine. Um, the people of Maine are like if you if you took your grandfather's work boot and and uh, soaked it in lard and beat it with a sledgehammer uh, and then held up this piece of leather. That's that's the the equivalent of a small child in Maine. They're the the <laughs> toughest, most rugged uh, Americans that I've come across. And Maine, you know, the the Penobscot Bay area, like it, Maine has everything that I love. It's it's wooden boats and and woodworking and and quietude and vast expanses of wilderness. Um, so let's. Uh, I'll go to Maine. You go to Alaska, and we'll write each other letters. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good pick. Uh, besides pick. Massachusetts, it's probably your best pick in New England. For my fifth pick, first, here's what I'm going to do for my fifth pick. I'm going to first name all of the states 
that are better than the one I'm going to pick. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Washington, Oregon, Nevada, Colorado, arguably New Mexico and Arizona, arguably Idaho, arguably Minnesota, Louisiana, definitely, uh, Virginia, definitely. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the list. Well, there's, there's some others that are at least as good. I would say Montana, Wyoming, Utah are as good. Uh, Georgia's as good in various ways. Uh, I'm picking none of these states. Instead, I'm picking Connecticut, a wow. tiny, pointless <laughs> state that serves mostly as a suburb of both New York and Massachusetts and Boston simultaneously. Uh, it is a, uh, it's a little tiny square with a little tail uh, in its southwest corner. Uh, it has very little to offer in terms of culture. It has Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain was from there. Harriet Beecher Stowe lived there. Um, it has some history. It was the first state with a, consti a state constitution that was hidden in a famous oak tree called the Charter Oak when the British invaded. Um, some pretty boring old towns uh, that were there in the 17th century. It's got a nice shoreline. It's got a Navy base uh, where they make submarines uh, in Groton. <laughs> Um, it's got nothing basically. It's got a bunch of trees and it's got ESPN. Um, but it was a nice place to grow up. It was quiet and safe. I have a, a special fondness for it in my heart. It's a hundred miles from Boston and a hundred miles from New York. So I can go up to Boston and curse Joe for stealing <laughs> Boston away from me. And then I can go down to New York and curse Joe for stealing New York away from me. So that's, <laughs> that's convenient. Uh, it's my hometown. It's my, I'm from uh, Hartford, Connecticut. It's my hometown. I'll always kind of love it, even though it's kind of pointless. Uh, so that's my, it's my fifth pick is pure sentiment. This is like when, this is like when Mike Piazza's dad's relationship with Tommy Lasorda convinced Tommy Lasorda <laughs> to draft Mike Piazza in like the 43rd round. I'm hoping that Connecticut somehow becomes the Mike Piazza of States. We know how that happens. We know how that can happen. Um, isn't, isn't, there like a certain kind of pizza that was invented in Connecticut. Am I wrong about that? Like New Haven are, always. Are you seems thinking to of Mystic Pizza? <laughs> you I, might be. Yeah, I might there's, be. There's I a famous know. pizza place called Pepe's in New Haven Pepe's, near Yale campus. Yeah, that that was uh, that but is. They invented I, something, right? Like it was a white pizza. They invented some kind of pizza there. That's, yeah, that's I, I, I think I think that's true. But also, who cares? <laughs> First phone booth, the first phone book was uh, was printed in Connecticut. There's your there's your fact of the day that uh, mm -hmm. that I'll take. It, look, I'll take. Basically, when it comes to like sort of the less famous states, I'll take you know, I'll take Mark Twain uh, <laughs> over over most people in terms of like a place where you know he's from Missouri, right, and he's settled in Missouri, Connecticut right, or vice yeah. versa. But he's from uh, yeah, you he, know, he, I mean, in in you know, he is from Hannibal, Missouri, so. You and Joe, maybe you're going to have to split Mark Twain. We'll split Mark that's Twain. That's fine. We'll split Mark I'm Twain. I'm fine with that. No, that's good. That's good. Look, Connecticut, I actually really like Connecticut. I had Connecticut higher on my list than almost every one of those states that you uh, that you put. I, I think Connecticut's actually a pretty cool place. But uh, but I'm, I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you got your home state. Massachusetts is not your home state. That's, that's why I took it. Um, 
With my fifth pick, I'm going to go completely the same exact thing. I'm going to go entirely with my heart. I'm not picking a state that I really believe I should pick with the fifth pick, but I'm going to do my Mike Piazza thing, and I'm going to take the great state of Kansas with my fifth pick. Uh, My wife is from Kansas. Uh, Her family's from Kansas. Uh, They still all live in Kansas. They are uh, farmers uh, and teachers and uh, in, in in the state of Kansas. There is uh, a certain wonderful American feel anytime you go to Kansas because there is nothing in the great state of Kansas. The great state of Kansas's uh, number one tourist attraction for years, I don't believe it is anymore, but for years was the Cabela's uh, um, uh, outdoor uh, store that uh, that was in Overland Park, Kansas, and now, or Kansas City, Kansas, maybe. Uh, I think now it's the Speedway, but but it's not a, it is 50th of 50 in tourist attractions. Um, but great people, uh, obviously my entire life changed by the great state of Kansas. Uh, they have a cool uh, motto. Their motto is uh, uh, to, the, uh, to the stars through adversity, which is kind of cool. And uh and they've got all sorts of fun little like weird facts like like Kansas is actually flatter than a pancake like that's like ge- <laughs> that is actually true that it is flatter than a pancake so I like that um, but it's straight from the heart I have no defense other than uh, it is uh, a very important state in my life. Well, that's a bold pick. <laughs> that, that is, I'll, I'll give it up for Kansas. It has uh, some of the best topsoil in the country, and. Uh, I believe it's also one of it, one of its nicknames is the sunflower state. That's right. Which, uh, which is charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. What is the best state we left on the board? Is, is there, is there one state that clearly is out there going, I can't believe like are all the experts saying, I can't believe they didn't take Rhode Island or is there like a state out there that's, that's clearly going to be the first uh, pick in in everybody's free agent camp. Yeah. Well, there, there's, I mean, the Washington, Oregon, and Louisiana spring to mind. Those are, yeah, those yeah. are. All- I, I would say Washington, Oregon, Louisiana, Colorado, Florida. Those are yeah. those would be the five that I think that would be shocked at not having been taken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Florida's insane. Florida's an insane swamp town. Florida knows what uh, it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, that's, that is- it, that's exactly the right way to put it. Um, but I, I feel like if I were Colorado, I'd be a little annoyed. Right yeah. yeah, especially right next to Kansas to yeah. see Kansas go ahead. Yeah, big- I mean Colorado is objectively yeah. a better state oh, than yeah. either oh, yeah. Kansas or Connecticut, at least, <laughs> right? Yes, objectively, you. Can, I don't think you can even make that argument. So, yeah. Gentlemen, I'm I'm so sorry to say so, but I uh, it's exactly now my call time, so I have to jump away. Absolutely, right, buddy. I, I what a, what a pleasure! This is a dream come true, and I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you both again soon. Amazing to have uh, to have Nick. I mean, that's uh, Mike. I mean, how long have we been doing this, Mike? How many years? Twenty one years now. Twenty one years, and uh, I would say this was the high point. Thank you. <laughs> But it's the it's it we just cleared a very low bar and achieved our high point. <laughs> we did achieve our high point. It's it's amazing. So, Mike, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe.